This is our second last week in our series, As You Are. Next week, uh, Pastor Nick is going to close the series, and um, actually, it's an important Sunday for a number of different reasons next week. Pastor, Pastor Nick is going to um, close the series. We're going to welcome new members, so we got some baptisms, professions of faith, some different cool stuff up here, welcoming new members to the church. And since uh, it's also Pastor Nick's last Sunday before he goes on sabbatical, he's going to be gone until August, he's going to share with us some of what God is preparing him for during his time away. And uh, we, we're going to pray a blessing on him and his family as they spend time in, I think, Michigan, Texas, Washington State, different places. Um, we want to pray God's blessing and provision for him while he's gone. We're going to hear more about that next week. Then the week after that, uh, Pastor Will is going to be preaching. I'm actually... Um, I'm going to be in Michigan with my family for a little while, um, for uh, about five or six days. I have some meetings there, and then my oldest daughter, Katie, graduates from Calvin, so we're excited to go be a part of that with her. And then the week after that, we're going to start a series on the city of God. We're going to actually uh, call it Prime Real Estate, the city of God. What is God's city as he shows it to us in the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament? What, has, what does that have to say to us about where we live and how we live and the sort of the space that God has made for us in our world? Um, we're going to be talking about that for a good chunk of the summer. So that's what's coming up. Today we're going to um, spend some time thinking uh, about uh, how God has been so active in our lives, and yet how quickly we forget um, how, how much uh, amnesia spiritually we can have in our lives. And I think that God has something to say to my heart, and I know he has something to say to your heart as well in his word. So let's pray for his blessing and his leadership and uh, learning through his word. Father, you're here. We just simply ask that you move in us according to your plan how you want to, to uh, show us truth and to show us love and to show us grace. I pray, Father, for people here who are longing for more grace, longing for more love, longing for more of your presence, longing to be reminded that you are God and you are with them. I pray, Father, that you show yourself to them in a powerful, clear, abundant way, overwhelm their doubts and their fears with you. I pray for those who come simply complacent. Yeah, we know the love of Jesus, but it really doesn't change us that much. Father, light a fire. Burn us with your fire of your spirit and move us into lives that are changed and renewed and transformed and different because we've come in contact with you. And those, Lord, who are here today, excited about serving you. Lord, foster those gifts and that passion. Foster their hearts that they long even for more of you. They long to remember how you have been at work in the past and they long, Lord, to see you be at work even more in their lives and the lives of those around them. Father, through your word, there is power to do all of this and so much more. We ask that you do it through the power of your spirit because of the work of Jesus. And we pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, so it's a, a special time of year for any number of different reasons. But this is a, it's a special time of year because right now, if you turn on your television at the right time, you're going to see something spectacular. It's called 
playoff hockey. <laughs> I'm Canadian by birth. I am a hockey fan. In Canada, it's sort of a prerequisite. If you're not a hockey fan, then you get beat up at school. Uh, no, it's just part of growing up as a Canadian kid. I can remember at five years old, getting up on a Saturday morning during the winter, grabbing my skates, grabbing my stick, grabbing my gloves, and going out, finding the pond that we were going to play on, and scraping the snow off the pond so that we could play hockey out there with our friends, my brother, for hours and hours and hours. And when you get old enough, you have to um, join leagues, and I played in a league, and actually it's sort of funny, some of the kids that I grew up, grew up playing with at one point or another were even in the NHL. Um, not great players, but they at least made it to the, to the big show, to the big deal. Uh, so hockey was big in my town, and if hockey's big, then you also have to pick a team, right? You got to be a fan, well, my team, or my, the town that I lived in, small little town in eastern Ontario, Canada, was almost halfway between two big hockey cities. Montreal, home of the Montreal Canadiens, and Toronto, home of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And my brother had already picked the Toronto Maple Leafs. And because he's my older brother, and because I hated him, I had to pick, therefore, the Montreal Canadiens. And I picked the Montreal Canadiens for a number of years, but then eventually um, we moved near to Toronto, and you can't be a Montreal Canadiens fan in Toronto, otherwise you get beat up at school. So you become a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, which I did. I became a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And if you know anything about hockey, and if you know anything about the Toronto Maple Leafs, being a Toronto Maple Leafs fan is hard. Because they stink. They're horrible. They didn't make the playoffs this year just like they haven't many years. In fact, um, they've never really done that well in my lifetime. They, they have barely made the playoffs. They've, barely, they've had great draft picks. They've had good hockey. But it's never really turned out for us to be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. It's not quite as bad as being a Cubs fan, but it's close. It's almost as bad as being a Buffalo Bills fan, which I'm also a Buffalo Bills fan, so I'm in deep trouble. Don't be a fan along with me. But here's the thing about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Stanley Cup, which is, by the way, personal opinion, the greatest trophy in all of professional sports. It's the most beautiful, most amazing. The Stanley Cup has been won, uh, obviously, over the years by many, many different teams, but the top two teams... In the history of winning the most Stanley Cups are the Montreal Canadiens. They have won the Stanley Cup 23 times. And in second place is the Toronto Maple Leafs. 13 times they've won the Stanley Cup. 13 times. If you were to go down to Staples Center and go to the ownership of the LA Kings and say, hey, would you folks love to, in the history of your um, franchise, have won the Stanley Cup 13 times? Of course, they'd be falling all over themselves. That would be a legacy. That would be, that would be something that, you know, would be historic. The same franchise winning the Stanley Cup 13 times. Are you kidding me? And the Toronto Maple Leafs have done it. They're an incredibly successful franchise. The only problem is the last time they won it was 1967. So a person like me, I don't remember that. I don't remember success. I don't remember how great 
the Maple Leafs have been. I don't remember their legacy. All I know is, in my lifetime, they stink. I have a short memory. And because I have a short memory, it's hard to remember that the Toronto Maple Leafs are pretty great. When we look at our text this morning from John chapter 6, we have a group of people who have a much worse memory than I do. A much shorter view of things than even I do in my view of the Toronto Maple Leafs. We see a group of people in their fickleness, in their forgetfulness, in their inability to have any sort of short-term memory, in essence, forgetting what their face looks like immediately after they walk away from the mirror, which is biblical, by the way. Let's discover how this sort of works. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. When they found him, these are the disciples, and him is Jesus... On the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, that's the Jewish name for teacher, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You'll notice there, Jesus doesn't answer their question. They ask him a question, when did you get here? And he instead goes in a different direction. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work Works God requires, and Jesus answered. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. He's giving them the standard. Believe. Believe in the one he's sent, all right? So there's the standard. If you believe, you're crossing the line. You're moving through the path that God is calling you to. And so they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, I'm going to stop there because that question, and um, Steph, if you leave that up for there for a moment, you see that question that they ask in verse 30. What sign then will we will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And it seems like a pretty logical question to ask, right? Show us, show us Jesus how, we, how it is that you are the Messiah. Show us, make it clear to us so that we can meet the standard that you gave just before that, that we can believe. And it seems like an appropriate question, right? Until you go be to the beginning of chapter six, Go with, open your open Bibles, look back at the beginning of chapter 6. What do you see there? There's two headings there. The first heading is this, in John chapter 6, verse 1. The heading is, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Okay, let that sink in for a moment. Um, Rachel, a little bit of hard work to feed 150 people here at church on Wednesday night sometimes, isn't it? Takes a little, takes a lot of planning, takes some people volunteering, people bringing fruit in. You got to go to the grocery store. A lot of work, 150 people, right? And it doesn't always work out the way that you plan. And sometimes there's not a whole lot left over, right? 
Jesus goes, Father, bless the food. For five loaves, two fish. I don't know if this is the five loaves and two fish or another. Loaves and fish. And suddenly, 5,000 get eaten till they're filled. And there's baskets left over. And then you get this. What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? How ridiculous is that? You just fed 5,000 at the holy smorgasbord. And you saw it, disciples. You were there. Remember that over on the other side of the lake? That leads us to the next story. Because that happened on the other side of the lake. But now Jesus comes to this side of the lake. And the question is, how does he get there? Well, he takes a walk. No big deal. He just takes a walk. Except it's on top of the lake. Jesus walks on water. He does the thing that nobody does. Oh, sure, they'll show you the Vegas show, but then they show you how they really do it. They don't actually walk on water. It's a little plastic thing right underneath the water. They can walk on the top of it. Jesus actually did it. And then you get, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? How many of you think that the disciples are a bunch of doofuses? Like, seriously, guys, get a clue. 5,000 people fed and breaking the laws of physics in the space of a couple hours. And you're saying, show us more, because that's not enough to believe. It sounds ridiculous. Until we realize that we do it too. There are people in this room right now who are wondering whether or not God is real. There are people in this room right now who feel alone from God, isolated from him. They feel like God is not with them. Maybe you're that person. I know I have been that person at various parts in my life. I have felt like God has forgotten me. But the problem is, is that I know, I know in my life, I can point to spaces. 17 years old, front of Drayton Christian Reformed Church for a concert where Jesus met me in a powerful way, knocked me down on my knees and reminded me he was God. He called me to be his own. I can point to that spot. Jesus met me. His grace and his love and his power were real. I know that spot. I know when it happened. I can show you another spot. It's in a 1027 Linwood Street, Visalia, California. It's in the back bedroom I needed to be challenged challenged by God in a very big way and he drove me to my face on the floor with tears streaming down on my face reminding me he calls me to be his and his alone nothing else nor no one else has claim or ownership over me he met me there and it changed my life and the problem is I know those spaces and I forget them and I say to God what sign will you then give that I may see it and believe you. What will you do? I forget the 5,000 that he fed before. I forget that he walked in the water before. I forget the front of the church when I was 17 years old. I forget down on my knees in the back bedroom on my face before God experiencing his love and his power and his transformation. I don't need a sign that God loves me. Because he's shown it to me powerfully and clearly. 
and transformationally over and over and over again. And he's done that for all of you. How many of you have experienced in some place even a little glimpse, a little sliver, a little breath of God's love and God's grace in your life somewhere. How many of you, and I know there's some of you who don't do hands. I can see the mental ones. They're up. I see it. We've experienced powerfully in some way, shape, or form the love of God, but the problem is we've forgotten. We've forgotten. We're like the disciples. He walks across the water to come, and they say, give us a sign that you're really God. We've forgotten that five minutes ago, Christ showed up. Ryan, top of your lungs. What does it say on the front of this table? This do in remembrance of me. That's what this is. This is a table of memory. This is a place where when you and I come to the table, we come for the purpose of memory, of being kick-started. Back to the front of the church, 17 years old. Back to the back bedroom on my face. Back to the place where he met you. Back to the transformation you knew. Back for the love and the grace that you needed. Back for the discipline that he took the two by four that you needed so desperately and gave you a whack. This stew in remembrance of... Remember how God has been real in his grace and his love in Jesus Christ. Don't be the fickleness of the disciples who've forgotten their reflection in the mirror as soon as they walked away. Then there's more. Verse 32 says this. Jesus said to them, he's responding to their question of whether or not they can have a sign. Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now it's interesting that we get this little shift, right? The disciples are saying, give us a sign. Because in the Old Testament, there was a pretty big sign of God's presence and provision for his people. It's the one that showed up in the wilderness. If you don't know the story of manna, it's very simply this. The people are in the wilderness. They are on their way, biggest long road trip, longest road trip in the history of the world from Egypt to Palestine. They're going to the promised land. They're on the exodus. And in the wilderness, they get stuck there for 40 years and they don't have enough food. So God says, I love my people enough to provide for them, so I'll give them food. I'll give them to them every day. So every morning, they wake up. And in the morning, on the ground, and on the rocks, and on the grass, and everywhere, is this stuff, extraordinary stuff, the stuff that we've never, ever seen again, called manna. Manna is simply bread from heaven that God gave, and it was bread that was just enough for the day. He said to the, to the Israelites, he said, gather enough for today. Don't gather too much more, otherwise it will spoil. Of course, they disobeyed. They didn't think that was true, and it spoiled on them. He said, gather enough for Monday, gather enough for Tuesday, gather enough for Wednesday. When you wake up in the morning, gather enough for Thursday and Friday, and then Saturday, gather for two days. Because my Sabbath, I'm going to rest. And I'm not going to provide that bread, but you'll have enough on Saturday. Gather enough. And they have just enough. 
Every day for 40 years. As soon as they get in the promised land, it ends. But what is one characteristic? There's this word, it's a verb. And it seems like during the Exodus, it's a really well-used verb. And it says, and the Israelites then grumbled. Remember that? They grumbled. Why? (sighs) So sick of this manna. Stuff stinks. Good and sweet and gives us what we need. I hate it. I want more. I want something else, God. They forget that every day they woke up and God showed up and said to them, here, just enough for today. Here, just enough for this day and the Sabbath day. Here, every day, my faithfulness, my love, my grace, showing up to you in this bread. And it's good bread and it tastes good. It could have tasted like junk, but I didn't make it junk. I made it good for you to eat. And then Jesus says, that's the way it was before. I'm the new bread. That was Moses' bread. Now you're getting the God bread. And guess what? You ain't going to need to gather more every day. You aren't going to have to get up and say, I got I to gotta do this, I got to do that. I'll, then I'll have enough of the bread from heaven for today. The bread of heaven that is Jesus Christ is for always. Jesus is saying to them, I'm that manna, but manna extraordinaire, the best manna that has ever been given from heaven. And it is enough, not just for now, but for always. For always. Having faith in Christ means that Christ's followers know that he and only he is enough. And God gives this gift, Jesus Christ, to fill us and stop our hunger. But that's only if we're hungry for him. If you have a hunger for Jesus, he will always fill it. He will always take care of it. Your hunger will always be filled. But the challenge is, is that we live in a world Well, that's not always true. This morning, I I looked at these kids up here. Look at Jacob and Alex over there and Clara and the Kim twins here. Look at all these kids up here. And there's a part of me that prays for them earnestly because their life is entering a really challenging time, isn't it? I mean, goodness knows the teenage years are really easy times for all teenagers, right? Of course not. And they've been raised, I think all of them have been raised in Christian homes. Love Jesus. They've been a part of things here at church. They've been a part of youth group, gems, cadets. They've been a part of, of you know, Becca and her volunteers and Mario and his volunteers are speaking joy and hope and life into their lives. But here's the challenge is that this is the time when they begin to wonder whether or not they're going to be hungry for Jesus. Right? becomes one of those challenges for teenagers, and it can continue for a long time. There's some who are probably in their 70s here who are still in that stage. But I was reminded this morning, this morning I said, well, maybe it's 21 or 22 and that hunger stops. And I had a couple folks remind me in their late 20s, early 30s, and one 50-year-old who said, wait, that doesn't stop. I'm still trying to figure out if I'm hungry for Jesus or if I'm hungry for this thing 
or that thing. If the faith of my parents that they raised me up into is going to be the faith and the, the, if my hunger is going to be fulfilled in Jesus or if I'm going to find it elsewhere, I'm going to find it in other relationships. I'm going to find it in other experiences. I'm going to find it in other theologies or other academic viewpoints or other experiences, other intimacies, other substances. I'm going to fulfill my hunger in other ways. And the challenge is that those hungers, when we pursue those hungers, and some of us know it doesn't just stop when we're young. It doesn't stop. It never stops. That there are always the attractiveness of other ways to fulfill our hunger. And we know the longer we live that if we pursue those things, our hunger is never filled. If you don't believe that, ask an addict. Ask an addict who continues to be stuck in their addiction. They think that this drink This joint, this injection, this pill, that's going to fulfill that need. And the problem is they feel good for a little while and then eventually they need another and need another and need another and it's a never-ending cycle. And it's the same thing with relationships. You think that you're going to find fulfillment in her arms, his arms, their arms, whatever. And the problem is, is the next time you think it's going to be different and it never is. And Jesus says, you go down that road and your hunger will always return. Come into my arms. Eat my bread. And your hunger will always be filled. but we have to be hungry for it. When you come to this table being hungry, longing for Christ, the bread of life, to fulfill all that you need, and see, God will. Why? Because he promised. Listen, listen to what it says next. Verse 34, it says, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. They want it. They want that bread. They want that bread that fulfills. And Jesus declared, okay, I'm it. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Seriously. Sound good? Like what, like out of 10 in terms of good news, what are we at, like a four? Thank you. God just gave you and I the clearest promise that you can get. It's two promises contained in one. He said that if you hunger and thirst after, if you eat the bread of life, you will never be hungry again. You will never be thirsty again. So it's a promise of provision. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking Christians everywhere are hungry. I'm hungry right now. Pastor's going too long. If that's the case, then the Bible isn't true. 
And the truth is, it's not about a physical hunger. It's about a spiritual hunger. You long for Jesus and hunger after him, and he will fulfill that hunger and that thirst completely and fully. It's about faith. If you trust that this is enough, Christ is enough, if you remember that he is enough, he will fulfill that hunger and he will fulfill that thirst. So you get provision. It's a pretty good promise. But not only that, but you also get eternity with it. So on a scale of one to ten, one to ten, what are we saying? That's a seven level gift? Of course, it's a ten. That's as good as you can possibly imagine. And if you know the grace of Jesus Christ, you have the blessing of spiritual provision forever and always. Your hunger, your thirst fulfilled. Good thing. But not only that, you also have a blessing for eternity. And it can never be taken away from you. Ever. Hear me here. Because it's the work of God. It's not dependent on your and my activity. What does it say? Jesus says, whoever the Father, what? Gives to me. This is not about whoever comes to me, whoever makes the activity of, of, of believing in me. It says, whoever the Father gives to me. God is the one who chooses. And if you know, if you can say, somewhere in your life, in your space, in your experience, in your history, you have met and known the gift and the love of the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. Then you have been given by God the Father to Christ the Son. And the promise is you can never be taken away. Ever. And I hope you hear that with hopeful, hopeful ears. Especially you grandparents and you parents and you people who have people in your life whom you love. Grandchildren, children who've walked away from the faith. There are people who do not know Jesus anymore. They were part of the church. They confessed the Lord. They raised their hands in worship. They praised God for everything. And then they said, there's other hungers and I'm going to go fill them. And they're continuing to be hungry, but they keep pursuing. And the reminder is that if the Father gave them to the Son, then you know, what does it say? They can never be taken away. It's the assurance of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. It's not dependent on your and my human activity, nor of anyone's obedience or disobedience. It's dependent fully and completely on the grace of Jesus Christ. And that is a greater power than any of your, my, or anyone else's rebellion. We cannot walk away from God and outdistance his grace. You cannot get far enough in your disobedience to get outside of the swipe of the love of God. And he snatches you back and says, you're mine. And I hope you hear that with the encouragement that it is. Receiving God's bread promises us provision in eternity. That's a good thing. But I hope it doesn't end there. Okay, you raised your hand when you said, I know the love and the grace of Christ. I've known it in my life somewhere. I can pick out the spot. I know the place. I remember the activity. I remember the challenge. Awesome. You've received literally the best promise that can be given to anyone. Provision and an eternal life forever and always and never snatched out of the hand of God. So then my question is, When you hear that, why are you not jumping out of your seat excited? 
Best thing you could ever receive, right? Right? And if it's the best thing that you could ever receive, and you've received it, and you know people out there who haven't received it, and who are broken and lost and hurting and desperate and fulfilling hunger in any other way, who are pursuing drugs, alcohol, who are pursuing relationship experiences, who are pursuing other theologies, ideologies, whatever ologies, in order to try to find another way to fulfill their hunger. And you know how to have your hunger fulfilled in the bread of life, the gift and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Then why in the world aren't we jumping off of our keisters and out there and exploding over the world with the love and the grace of Jesus Christ? Because that's the gift we've been given. You have it all. I have it all. It's here given without my action or activity. And the rest of the world needs it. But they don't know it. They're lost. They're lonely. They're broken. It's dark and they can't see. And you and I have candles. When we come to this table and remember, when we come to this table and we receive another reminder of God's gift of grace when it moves us to remember those places and spaces where we have experienced his love and his grace, how can we not be compelled to explode off of our feet because we can't contain it and we gotta get it out there. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're, doing, you're saying, Pastor Scott, I'm doing it. I'm sharing it. I'm speaking it. And I'm, I'm not sitting here and I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I instead want us to come to this table and experience what happens here in remembering the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and being so overjoyed, so relieved, so overwhelmed by God's love and God's grace for us that we can't help out of that thanksgiving and gratitude to blow the doors off this place to want to go share that. That's the compulsion. That's the energy. God has given you in full and complete abundance for all eternity, everything that you need. You will never be hungry nor thirsty again because of Jesus. Go and find hunger. Find the others who are hungry and say, I have bread. And it's good bread. And it's eternal bread. And when you eat it, you'll never be hungry again. You'll never, ever be hungry again. You have those people in your brain. You know who they are. You know the people God has put in your life that can be a neighbor, a child, grandchild, parent, aunt, uncle, coworker, fellow student, fellow teacher who needs that bread. You've got it. Go share it. Would you pray with me? You have given us the bread of life. You have given us hope, plan, and purpose. You have given us everything. Lord God, in Jesus Christ, we have it all. May that not just be a comfort and an encouragement to us, but an energy to us to 
explode from our seat in praise to you, glorifying you by telling your story, sharing your truth, speaking to others about the bread of life, the bread of life that never spoils, the bread of life that once we have received it is an eternal bread. And Lord, it's your action that does that in us. You just simply call us to go spread seed and see what sort of ground it lands in. Father, give us that compulsion, that desire, that energy. And then, Lord, when we have it, multiply it. Bless it. Make the harvest great, not for our glory, but for yours and yours alone. Pray these things all in Jesus. Amen. Jesus Jesus was about creating memory. And we've talked about this before that the Passover meal, Passover meal was a very ritualistic activity. You look at the instructions in the Old Testament book of Exodus on how you are to observe the Passover meal. It was very you had to hit your points. You had to make sure that you did it right. There were certain things, activities, things that had to be worn, done at certain times in order to do it right. And Jesus had done this, we assume, with the disciples before and done it that way. But then on this night, this one night, when they're doing what they had done before and what all them as good Jews had done for a lifetime before, when they got together to eat the Passover, Jesus created memory. His memory, the memory that he created was simply this, and took bread, and so that they might see he broke it after having given thanks for it. And he said to them, this is my body. They'd never heard that before. Never thought about that. What does that mean? This is a different Passover than we've ever experienced. Jesus created memory. And then, likewise, to create memory in them so that they might see, he poured out the cup and he said to them words that they had never heard at the Passover before, this is my blood. And then he said something to connect it all. He said, whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, do so in remembrance of me. Remember. Remember who I am. I have to wonder if a couple days hence, when the disciples were bearing witness from the next hill of Golgotha, the cross of Jesus, and they saw his blood dripping down his brow from the crown of thorns, or down his arms from the spikes into the cross, or from his feet in the spikes in the cross, or even eventually the spear that was driven into his side. As the drips of blood came down, I wonder if there was memory. This is my blood. Friends, as we come to the table, come with memory. Come with memory of where God has met you. Come with memory of his grace, how he has provided for you, how he has shown up in the spaces and places where you have so desperately needed his love, his grace, his hope, his provision, his future, his purpose. 
Look for those spaces in your life, and when you do, give God praise for them. Remember, in remembrance of me. And maybe even as, we'll come forward here, elders, there will be three stations, one there, one here, one there. As people come forward, maybe you're not just looking at your memory, maybe you're looking at the memory of others. Maybe you're thinking about that person who God saved from this disease, or that person that God has shown his love to in this way, or that child who has grown up knowing the love of Jesus. Maybe the memory is not just your own, it's for the community. Your memory of God's provision for the community. As you come, come and remember. I want to welcome the elders forward.